Well, church, as you are having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles and open up to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel this morning. Happy New Year. How's everyone doing? Let's try that again. That was like three of y'all responded. Happy New Year. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, this is a, uh, a fun Sunday, a special Sunday. If many of you don't know, uh, this is our five-year anniversary of when we planted Providence North Community Church five years ago. Yes. Five years ago, we started with a handful of people in a living room. So at the expense, I talked to a couple people, at the expense of being one of those people that like is showing you my family's vacation photos, even if you're not in them, I'll try not to do too many, but I want to show you a couple because it kind of shows how we've gotten to where we are here in this room and this split in this space kind of gives you a little bit of a history of where we were. So I'm going to roll through a couple of these. There's our very first Sunday, 2015 in a living room. So we don't have great pictures. This was so long ago, right? It was like all pixelated. So you'll have to forgive us for those. We didn't have iPhone 12s. It was like an iPhone 2 back then. Um, and so we can keep going. I don't have a lot of commentary on it. There's Melissa, or I can't tell if that's Megan. I'm sorry. It's, it's Melissa or Megan teaching the littles. There's a lot. And look at Laura. Laura's been there since the living room day one. Y'all give Laura a hand if you have a baby back there. She can't, she can't hear you, but... Uh, We'll let her know. There we are greeting one another in a living room. There I am in the corner. I'm having a deep conversation. And so it all started right here in the living room. And then right after the living room, shortly after that, we began filling up the streets and we moved into a random office building. So this is Easter, our first Sunday out of the living room. There's Mary telling the, the resurrection story to our children's ministry at the time. A few kiddos there. And we can move on from there. And then here, there's the wide angle, right? There's our very first Easter service. It was this office complex in Shenandoah. They had this like empty space that wasn't built out. So we just said, hey, we'll do a service in there. And it was that next week, actually, after this, we're like, well, where we have, there's more people that can now go back into a living room. Where are we going to go? And so we actually called Bonnie. My daughter dances at Bonnie. This was her old studio back near the Branch Crossing Y. And we started meeting there a few weeks after that. There's the room. Uh, We've always met in odd-shaped rooms, so it's kind of our thing. If we ever get a building, we have to build weird angles and corners uh, that Zach will have to deal with with sound issues. We had no stage. We had like a single speaker. And then a few weeks later, we moved, uh, I guess a few months later, I can't remember the timeline, but we moved here. And uh, here we are setting up for the very first Sunday in this Bonnie's, in this place, and uh, we, we were only in this room right here, so it was oriented the other way. The, the stage we had given to us was set up right over there. We curtained it off up there because it was too big. It was way too big in here, so we had to section it off to make it feel bigger, and the same comfortable black chairs you're in were there back then, so we spared no expense on the chairs, and then we started outgrowing this space this way over time. And uh, uh, we talked to Bonnie, and we really wanted to stay here because she's been so gracious to us that we said, hey, what if we just tore down that wall? Because we we didn't actually ever put any kids in this room that was over here because it was too loud because our kids are a little rowdy. And Bonnie uh, graciously agreed to let us tear down this wall with Adam's help. There's Adam's crew, and he helped us organize a lot of that and uh, really all of that with uh, Tom Lancaster, local architect, kind of put all these trussing in here so we could hang this portable wall that opens us up into this space right here. And then just this year, um, a few weeks ago, 
uh, we've had some of our largest services we've ever had in the history of our church. So I think at Chris, this is the, the day the kids were singing. Close to 300 of us with kids were packed into Bonnie's collectively with all of these rooms. And then our Christmas Eve Eve service was about the same with almost 300 folks. And so it's a special Sunday. So if you were uh, along any part of the ride there, I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for uh, believing in this church. If you're here now, we want to say this is a place for you. You can find a home here where we are going to preach and teach the gospel. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to call one another to live in community. And we're ultimately uh, not just going to terminate on that, but we're going to go out and make and multiply more disciples of Jesus. And Jesus and his faithfulness to us as a church, we've seen that happen. Uh, We've seen more and more people come and be a part of the mission and vision that God has given us here at Providence North. So in many ways, it feels like I can't believe that was Uh, only five years ago. It feels like 20 years ago, but in many ways, it's like it feels like it was just yesterday. So um, special Sunday for us. And so I I didn't really take the advice of the the church planting gurus. They they say you're usually supposed to launch on a big Sunday. So when you do the announcement days, they're like your biggest services. So anyway, we did it the first Sunday of the new year, right? It works. So here we are. We're so glad that you are here. Five years. We're thrilled to be in the word of God this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness and for your guidance uh, over us as a church. Lord, thank you for um, just the chance to be able to open your word, to be able to ground our lives uh, on what you say and what you've called us to. God, thank you for the many that have been a part of this journey, that have called and still do call Providence North or home. Thank you for those that you continue to bring, uh, that walk into these doors and find a family and a home here to call their own at Providence North. And God, we just pray you continue to move. Lord, it's been by no um, savvy marketing. It's been by no uh, decision of a single person, but it's been by your hand and your guiding that you have sustained us and grown us and carried us all the way. And so, Lord Jesus, we say thank you. Um, And Lord, we're anticipating and looking forward to the days and years ahead as you continue to lead and guide and grow us as a church by your gospel, for your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning in the new year, Uh, Typically what we do is we preach through books of the Bible. We're going to take a little break. We're going to be jumping into one uh, here in the coming weeks, but we're going to do a little one-off. And I wanted to ask ourselves this question. The fact we've been looking at Christmas, we've been studying um, the incarnation, the fact that Jesus came as a baby. We've been looking at Emmanuel, God with us, that he came to us at Christmas. And so in light of that, in light of the fact that our Savior has come, I want us to ask ourselves this question. What is he asking of us now? So he came. He was born. He came to die. He came and lived the perfect sinless life that we could never live, right? So what is he asking of us now? What is he calling us to and toward? Why doesn't he just save us right away and bring us up to heaven right when we come to know him? Why does he leave us here? Why are we here right now? What is the Savior that we just got done celebrating for four weeks calling and asking of you and I that call him Lord. In other words, what is the expected norm for those of us who believe in the gospel and who claim to follow Christ with our lives? What is the call of Christ on our lives as believers? This one that has come, what is he asking of us? 
John 17, 3, it's not going to be on the screen, sums it up really well by saying this. The Apostle John says, now this is eternal life. Catch this, that you would know God and Christ Jesus, the one he has sent. So scripture tells us if I want to be someone who walks with God, not just someone who knows a lot about God or someone who is really moral, but if I want to be someone who walks with God, our call is to know Jesus and to follow him. We're called to be like the disciples, to go and do the things the Savior does, to go and be sent into the places the Savior sends us, to go where he is and to walk where he walks, right? He calls us to know God, not just know about God, to know him and to know Jesus, the one he has sent. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but we, we kind of find ourselves in this season of Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year. It's kind of like party season. It's tons of hype. It's marketing blitzes like we can't get away from. They're coming in on our phones. They're coming in all over the place. We're just getting inundated with all the hype and all the crazy and all the advertising. Let me quickly just illustrate. So November, we've got Thanksgiving. We have parties with family. We've got uh, football. We've got, we buy turkeys. We have these big meals because that honors the pilgrims. In December, we've got Christmas and countless parties. We're trying to organize all the, the kids' events with maybe community group parties, work parties, neighborhood parties, uh, gift ornament exchanges, mug exchanges, all these crazy events. We're trying to fit it all in. How are we going to do it? How are we going to get it all done? It's just this crazy blitz. And in the middle of all that, you've got all your favorite sporting events that are going on. A couple days after Christmas, we have New Year's. We have the New Year's celebration. We watch the ball drop. We have New Year's celebration parties. We, uh, we're at this point, we're all stressed because we're all broke after Christmas and we're wondering how we're going to have another party and afford to, to, to do this. And so we're all freaking out about that. A few weeks after that, you've got college football national championship that's coming up. Then you've got the Super Bowl. Then you have what is crazy to me is we already have advertising for Valentine's Day. Make sure you buy your chocolates. Make sure you plan for this. And then a few weeks after that, you got the final four. And it's a more party, more hype, more advert, more stuff, to, more brackets to fill out, more, 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 more stuff, party, celebration, right? Anyone feel that right now? Okay, never mind. I'm done here, I guess. <laughs> Let's pretend I didn't say that. Does anyone feel that in here at all? Okay, still. <laughs> okay. I'm looking at, it's not that big of a room. I see those of you that didn't raise your hand. I'm talking later. <laughs> see, the hype of all of these things just vies for our time and affection, right? Through all of the media outlets that we have in our lives. They just are constantly pinging us for our attention, for our focus, for the next thing. We're inundated with it. The hype of the next thing. And so I think a lot of us... It just feels normal. That feels really normative for us. Uh, introductions like that feel incredibly normal to us. Being introduced to new things or the next thing feels very normal to have this huge hyped up celebration in and around it. That feels very, uh, very normal to us. These introductions like that. But Jesus, when you think about his kingdom... When you think about his life, when you think about the way that he goes about things, he introduces his kingdom 
in a radically different way, totally different way. Jesus does not come with hype. Jesus does not come with a bunch of fireworks. Jesus doesn't bring a party. He doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't start the marketing chain. Jesus was born in what we would consider a garage, not a palace. We know very little about his life for the first 30 years. His first 30 years on earth, we know almost nothing about it as given to us in the scriptures. Besides a few little stories, obviously when he was born and then one little snippet of when he was a young boy, about the age of 12 in the synagogue. And in many cases, even after he begins his public ministry, he does these miraculous things. He'll heal people. He'll say these most like earth-shattering, mind-blowing things and do these things to these people that normally they, they, they can't explain. They're otherworldly. And he, he tells them, hey, don't tell anyone about this. Hey, when you go into the next town, just keep this between you and I. Does these mind-blowing miracles and then tells everyone not to tell anyone else. Why didn't he announce when he was coming so that he would have millions and millions and millions of people just waiting for him that first Christmas morning? Why didn't he just announce it to, to, to everyone on the earth so that the Savior's coming, show up here. You can see him, you can get a picture with him. You can fall on your face and worship him. Why wouldn't he come with the party? Why wouldn't he do it like we are so used to introductions with the hype? And with all the stuff, he could have done it bigger than anything we'd ever imagined or ever seen. Why didn't Jesus do it this way? Because Jesus is interested in drawing to himself those who are fully committed to the cause and purpose of him and his kingdom. He's not real interested in drawing people just to marketing and hype and a show or an event even. He's interested in drawing us, all of us, our hearts and our minds, that we would be drawn in, that we would know him, that we would be fully committed to his cause and his purposes here on earth, to, to his kingdom way, that he would change us, not that we would just show up to stuff. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, and Mark is this fast-paced gospel it's, uh, there's a lot of urgency when, as Mark writes. He kind of gets to the point, which I really like and appreciate about Mark. And so Jesus is going to begin his public ministry. These are going to be the first recorded spoken words of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. And we're going to get to, and we're going to see what he's calling his people to. What is he all about? So for 30 years, he goes almost unnoticed, kind of doing his thing. And now here he's launching his public ministry, and it's not with a party. In fact, it's with a bunch of outcasts, with a bunch of fishermen that don't deserve to be talking to a rabbi of his stature. But he begins in an unlikely place with an unlikely people with an unlikely statement. Mark 1, 14 says this. Now after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, these are his first words and Mark recorded, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
And passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. So the scripture shows us a couple of things on this New Year's morning. One, it shows us what the true gospel is and how do we live in it. And number two is what is the call of Christ on those who believe? What is the true gospel and what is the call of Christ on those who believe? Those are the two things we're going to look at this morning. Now, today we find ourselves in a culture that everyone kind of wants a connection with something spiritual. Right? We kind of, everyone sort of has a spiritual side. We're all looking for a a connection with something spiritual. We kind of want a God or a Jesus to sort of fit into the mold in which we live and operate in. There used to be a thing where you had Jesus as my homeboy t-shirts. That used to be a popular thing that's indicative of the culture we live in. We kind of want Jesus, but we kind of want him to be a little bit more, not quite as uptight as maybe we remember him. So Jesus needs to be my homeboy and he's got the thumbs up. We want a Jesus to fit into our lives and to really meet our own needs. Many of us. However, a Jesus that is our own projection that sort of just fits into the mold that we want to put him in, that is sort of a, uh, an invention of our own ideas that meets our own individual needs, that Jesus will never transform you. Uh, that Jesus will never even challenge you. And that Jesus will never change you. A Jesus that you can just sort of say, well, I like this part of him and I like this part of him, but I don't really like this part of him, so I'm just going to keep these two parts and throw away these ten. That's not the Jesus that is given to us. That's not the Jesus that says here to these fishermen, repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. That Jesus will never challenge us. In fact, that Jesus of our own invention will never ask us to repent of anything because we don't like doing that. I don't like doing that. But the first spoken words of Jesus recorded in Mark were the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel and follow me. You see, Jesus doesn't call us to just some cultural icon or some vague spiritual understanding He calls us to his purposes for his mission and his kingdom. And this was very unique in Jewish tradition and culture because rabbis historically never chose students. Students always chose the rabbi. They would kind of see if they were to be accepted. In other words, culturally then, and it's really similar now in many right, many cases, the student would seek out the master as the one respected uh, and asked to be taught. It's like if you're getting your PhD somewhere, you understand the faculty at the school you want to go get your uh, higher degree at, and you seek that out, and you want to go understudy under a certain professor that they would then teach you all the things that they got their PhD in, and they would download it into you over the course of four to 17 years, depending on uh, what profession you're in, right? It was similar back then. It was, you would seek out someone to learn under. However, Jesus is showing us something different about his kingdom. And this is radical. This is remarkable. Jesus is showing us that you cannot have a relationship with him unless he calls you. 
His call is important. His call is the one that matters. He's showing us that it's his call that moves us to action. It's his call that beckons us. It's his call that changes our hearts and minds. It's the words of Jesus that produce action in us, that even allow us to move forward toward him. He's the one that calls out to us, even when we're undeserving, even when we're just a fisherman with some nets, and we don't deserve to go study under any PhD program, but he walks up to us and says, I want you. Come follow me. His call moves us to action. And this not only changed their lives, the lives of the disciples, but it profoundly changed the fabric of the entire world in which you and I operate in even today. The call of Jesus is a profoundly powerful thing. And I wonder this morning, have you heard that call and have you responded to him? Has Jesus called out your name? And maybe you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to follow him into this place. He's beckoning you. He's calling you. You can trust him. We sang about it. He is a firm foundation. You can believe in him and you can go toward him knowing that he will keep you even if his call leads you to unknown paths and places. He is good. It's kind of like that, that, uh, that scene in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. It's Aslan. He's, they're looking down. The kids are looking down. It's like, I want to go pet him. And, he's, and the, the kids remind, uh, remind one another that he's good, but he's not safe. Sometimes he'll lead you to places that, oh, man, it's uncomfortable, but he is good. He'll never let you down. He'll always be with you. So what is his call? What is it? What does it show us here? Verse 15, his call is to repent and believe in the gospel. So first, we've got to ask ourselves this question. What is a gospel? Or in this case, the gospel, right? This is a word that uh, if you've grown up in the church, or even if you haven't grown up in the church, you just kind of know it, and it's just sort of got a lot of baggage, and we're kind of maybe even inoculated to it, because it's just like, oh, that's just the church word. It's the gospel, right? It's just what you say in church. And so what does that actually mean? Well, I think it's lost its meaning a little bit. It's lost its importance. It's lost its historical context to us, because it's just it's this evangelical word that we throw out all the time, gospel, 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 right? And we're like, oh, it's just church talk. We don't ever use it in any other context. We don't use it in a business context. We don't use it with our friends. We don't use it anywhere else except in the confines of church. But in Jesus' day, it didn't have a religious meaning at all. There wasn't a religious connotation to the word gospel when Jesus uses this term. So what is he talking about here? Why does he come on the scene, Jesus, the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, his first words in his public ministries, he's calling his first disciples into this new kingdom, says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, turn, change your way of living, and believe in the gospel. What is a gospel? Well, gospel simply means news that brings tremendous joy. News that brings great joy. It was, it's not common news. It's history-making news. 
It's life-changing news. It's life-shaping news. It's formative news, not just daily news, not just common news. In fact, we have a text in the, around the same time that Mark was written that say things like this uh, in ancient Rome. In the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, that's how things were introduced. So historically, we have the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And that would have meant, as you were reading this gospel news, it's the big news of Caesar Augustus. His rule, his reign, the historical context, uh, what he accomplished, and what it meant for all the people that lived under his rule and under his reign. It was life-altering news. When a new Caesar was inaugurated, that was life-shaping news because it had profound implications on anyone living under his kingdom. And the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. In fact, these, this gospel kind of terminology, the way that it's spoken about, uh, would often entail some great victory in war, Right? And so uh, in the ancient times, you would have uh, what, were, what were called heralds of the gospel, gospel heralds. And a gospel herald would be in charge of this. When the king had won a battle, a gospel herald that was a part of that troop would, there was no communication lines, right? There was no, you couldn't pick up a phone. You couldn't text anyone. They would send a gospel herald to run back to the town and city that they were from to declare the gospel of the victory that the king had won. Why is that important? This gospel news meant when they heard this good news that the invading army that was coming and challenging their king if their king had won, the herald would declare the good news of the gospel saying, victory is ours. It meant for those people, it meant for the women and children that were back, that our husbands were alive, our city would remain, our king would rule and reign, and everything was going to be okay. They couldn't do anything about it. They were receiving and recipients of this news that produced in them great joy. And so trumpets would fire and sound off at the good news of the gospel. My king will reign. We'll live. We'll live. We will not be enslaved any longer. Or we won't be enslaved if this invading army comes. It was great, great news. And so all of this good news, all this word that Jesus chooses to use means that the gospel of Jesus is unique in the context of, of a religious context for a, a very important reason is because the essence of all other religions is advice, isn't it? It's how do you achieve righteousness so that you can attain God at the top of the mountain? How can you follow the right path so that you might achieve enlightenment? It's advice on how to get there. Christianity is a gospel. It is news that produces great joy. It's news, meaning it's already been done. Something has been accomplished that profoundly impacts you in your life. Whether you were there or not, that's the gospel of Jesus. So he's saying, repent and believe in this gospel. I've come, I'm establishing a new kingdom, and it has pervasive things on your life 
as a result. The gospel is something that happened in history that changes your status and my status forever. Our king will reign. The victory has been won. All other religion is advice. Christianity is a gospel. It is what has already been accomplished by Christ that you may be saved. That's why it's joyful news. There are no rules that we've got to keep to attain it. It's been done. The herald of the gospel has already declared that it's been done. There's no certain things you must attain to. It's a gospel of grace. It's repent and believe. It's receive and believe. The battle's been fought. The victory's been won. Jesus has done all that needs to be accomplished. It's belief. And so, when you stand in the gospel of Jesus, it's freedom. Now, I think the new year often lends, it, lends itself to this way of thinking that all of us do, and it's, they're healthy exercises to do, and it lends itself to this, I'm going to do better this year type mentality, right? We're all sort of in that right now. It's like when the most treadmills are sold and when the most beach body subscriptions are sold or the most 24-hour fitness deals are sold or where the most, I'm going to eat right, I'm going to sign up for those eat better plans so I can eat healthy. We're all thinking about, I'm going to do better this year. Those are all great things. I'm going to attend church more. I'm going to be more spiritual. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read more. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better wife. I'm going to be, we have all of these things. And we often call these things resolutions. And I think if we're not careful, we treat our Christianity like a resolution. Well, God will love me more if I just do better this year. God will look upon me favorably if I just do a little bit better this year. But the gospel, church, remember, is not a resolution to do better next year or to do better this time. It is a declaration of what's already been done. That's what Jesus calls us to. Jesus declares, repent and believe in what I've done for you, news of great joy. That's why it produces joy. Because in spite of us, he has done it. In spite of our failed resolutions, he comes through for us. Doesn't he? And so think about it. When you stand in the gospel of Jesus, is it freedom to you? That's the gospel that's presented to us in the scriptures. It's freedom. It's liberating. It's life-altering. It's saving grace. Or when you hear it, do you think that the gospel means moral law that I've got to keep? And it's great advice that sometimes I keep, and when I don't keep it, I feel terrible. Because if you think that's the gospel that's preached in the scriptures, it becomes about you and your efforts. And that's not a gospel of grace. That's a gospel of law-keeping. And that's exhausting. The gospel that Jesus is calling us to repent and believe in uh, is what's been done by him. And so when you hear the gospel of Jesus, that word, do you feel like those that heard the heralds declaring the victory of battle? Your burdens feel lifted when you hear the gospel. Your fears subside when you hear the gospel of Jesus. You have an overwhelming joy because of the gospel of Jesus, because what you couldn't do was accomplished for you, and you will now have life. Your king will rule. The battle has been won, or when you hear it, do you adhere uh, advice on how to live? Three easy steps to do X, Y, Z, that you may have a better this, that, or the other, and you're kind of good at it for a little bit, 
But like all of our resolutions, if you're anything like me, you give up after five minutes or five weeks, depending on what the resolution is. And then you just kind of feel bad. (sighs) I couldn't do it. Maybe God doesn't love me. The gospel of Jesus is never a heavy burden. Matthew 11, Jesus says this. He looks at us, his disciples that follow him. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The gospel is that God accepts you on the basis of Christ. Not on you and your efforts. Not on what you've performed in the past, but what he has performed in history for you. That's why it's joyful news. Now, another aspect of this good news is that Jesus is announcing his kingdom. This kingdom of God is at hand, right? And so with the establishment of a kingdom is the arrival of the king, this man, Jesus. And he's establishing a kingdom. And so we begin to see the king gather around himself a people. And what is the mandate of the king? We're going to see that. The very beginning, right right off the heels that we are to repent and believe, he's going to give us our marching orders. Verse 16, Mark 1, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, and casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. The call of Jesus is to be with him. It is to follow him. It's not a call to just morality and being a good person. It's not, Jesus doesn't walk up and say, Simon, uh, I heard you cuss last week, and so I'm going to come back in a couple weeks, and you got to clean it up for a couple weeks, and then you might, might be able to follow me. Or it's, it's none of that. It's not this like Jesus doesn't come and address their moral failures at the very beginning. He comes to those undeserving and says, you, you, and you follow me. I'm going to show you what this is all about. The call of the king is to follow him. It's to abide. It's to be near him. And so the initial call is to be near Jesus, to follow him where he is. And Jesus calls people to himself to be near him, to be with them. And from there, he sends them out. But the initial call is to follow me. The gospel of John says it 40 times. 40 times, he says, abide with me, abide with me, be with me, be right next to me, follow me. And this word abide that he's used 40 times literally means stay right here. Don't wander away from me. Stay right next to me. I want you right here. Mark Mark 3, this won't be on the screen. He says it later. He says he appointed the 12 so that they would be with him. Same idea, to be with him. He says, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. He says, as you follow me, I will make you into something else. As you spend time with me, you'll begin to change. I want to produce something in you. I want to change what you think about. I want to change your affections, your hearts. We see this all the time. When we're around people, we're around the same group of people, we begin to 
talk like them. We begin to joke like them. We begin to laugh at the same things. Inside jokes begin to make sense. We even begin to dress alike, right? When you're like a part of a, a, a culture and a crew, this just inevitably happens. You begin to reflect each other. It happens with uh, school-age kids. They all kind of end up wanting the same pair of shoes. Or they, I remember when I was little, it was like Reebok pumps. If I didn't have pumps, I was going to be devastated, right? That was like kind of the thing. I don't know if that's still a thing, but kids wanting the same shoes. But we all start wanting and desiring and our heart's affections begin leaning towards the same things. We begin talking alike. In fact, Ash and I are going to be celebrating 15 years this year. And there's times where I say something. She's like, I was literally just about to say that. You begin thinking alike. It's almost kind of weird, right? And Jesus says, as you follow me, as you stay right here, I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you into something new. And he puts us in a process of becoming something new. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, what does that mean? Last idea. Biblical imagery of the sea and the water was darkness and chaos in the unknown. It was the, the depths of the underworld. There's, I don't know what goes on down there. It was darkness. It was death. It was the unknown, right? Chaos. And Jesus is saying right here, he's looking at his disciples and he's saying that as you follow me, I'm going to make you into a people that will draw others out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'm going to give you the words of truth to give to them that will produce light and life through me. And this is a process. It's going to be a journey. So he says, follow me. And I'm going to show you the opportunities that you never would have seen before. The journey is going to look nothing like you thought it would. In fact, for these disciples, it would involve running for their lives. It would involve failing beyond comprehension for some of them. It would even involve betrayal for others. He says, but this is the way I'm going to turn you into fishers of men. The disciples had no idea how hard the call would be. But Jesus says, I want to take you on a journey. I want to take you on a journey. And in that journey along the way, you're going to have the enormous privilege of telling people of this good news that happened. And when you tell them and they repent and believe by faith, they will come out of the darkness and into the light and have life everlasting. That's what you get to be wrapped up in. The king gathering for himself a people under his banner. Jesus says you're going to see and get to do things beyond anything you ever imagined. In fact, Luke 10, 23, Jesus looks at the very end and he turns to his disciples and he says to them privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them and hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Jesus says, you get a blessing beyond compare because you get to walk with me. You get to abide with me. You get to be with me. You get to see and hear things that no one else will because of me. So we get to follow Christ who has power over all things. And the greatest news in the world is that we have access to him. We get to abide with him. We get to hear from him. He gets to show us where to go next. That's great news. So Jesus wants to take us as his followers and change us into something new. This year, he's calling each of us towards something. So long as we stay right next to him, he's calling us 
to share this good news with maybe someone that doesn't know it. He's calling us to uh, grab hold of this good news of the gospel that produces life, not self-doubt and not deprecation, but it's been done for us so we can find life in this good news. He's calling us to something new. He's calling us to maybe heal from depression that we have because we don't feel like we ever measure up. He says, in my gospel, my good news, you're worthy. He's calling us to a new kingdom, a new way. And it's probably not going to look anything like you thought it would. But it's going to be worth it. And it's going to be good. And he's saying along the way, as I change you, as I mold you, and as I shape you, you get to introduce others to this great gospel. And they can find the kingdom of light and step out of the place of darkness and find healing and life everlasting because of this good news. So church, let's follow Jesus this year. Let's abide in him. Let's be close to him. Let's stick with him. And let's be a people that because of this good news, get to the chance and opportunity to call new people that need this life-giving good news to come and join us and find life in Christ everlasting. Let's be a part of those two things this year in 2020. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that you did for us that which we could never do on our own. That you defeated death. That to those that believe you grant now life everlasting. Lord, that you credit your perfect righteousness to us, the undeserving, mere fishermen walking along the shore. And that your call went out to us, the undeserving. And now we get to abide by you the maker, creator, sustainer, and savior of the world. That's why you came. And you left us here on purpose so that we can be heralds of this good news. So that we can go from place to place declaring the light has come, our king has won, the victory has been declared. And burdens begin to be lifted fears begin to subside because of this good news. So Lord, I pray this year we would live in that, that you'd give us boldness to declare and share with others this good news, this life-giving good news. And Lord, you would do a work in our midst here in 2020, even here in our lives, in our church at Providence North, and we could ever dare dream or even imagine. You can do that. So God, would you move? Would you move in and through us? Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship in church.